Well, it is fantastic to be able to open the scriptures together with you this morning. And so if you've got a Bible with you, now is the moment to find it. Um, if your house is anything like ours, then that might be a challenge given the uh, homeschooling and everything else that's happening at the moment. Uh, we said right at the start of this year that, that it's never been more important for each one of us as Christians to put our roots down deep into God and to grow up in our faith. Uh, and, um, you know, it's so easy to think that maturity in God has to do with age or to do with length of service or um, to do with what we know. But actually, I've so loved the way that different ones of our pastors have brought different thoughts. But, but essentially what we're saying is that the target is so much bigger than just knowing things. Uh, and uh, so I would really encourage you to go back over uh, previous weeks that you've missed and to just, just lean in and allow yourself to be deeply challenged in the way that, that I certainly have. You know, like, I, I, I just want to go deeper in God, and this is the moment to do that. Now, often in our church, what we've been uh, uh, guilty of, perhaps, is doing the world's longest teaching series. And so what ends up happening is that everyone's like, help, I think we might be stuck in this teaching series. It's like a vortex, like somebody send help. And, and so... Uh, we're just conscious that we don't want this teaching series to be boring or, 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 or at least for us to get bored of it. We, we want it to be fresh. And so we're just going to take a break in the run up to Easter and then we'll rejoin that series after Easter. And instead, what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, the letter of 1 Peter, 1 Peter. And so we're going to be exploring that. And so that's where we're going to be turning in our uh, Bibles today. Uh, the letter of 1 Peter is really a letter that's all about hope, which, why it, which is why it felt like a, a really great uh, letter for us to be studying over the next few weeks. You know, we all need hope, especially right now. And, and people all over the world are scanning the horizon for hope. And, and there is a sense, isn't there, that our own personal sense of hope kind of depends on what Nicola says, or what Boris says, or what Jason says. And yet, what Peter is going to tell us week after week after week in the run-up to Easter is that as people who follow Jesus and people who've given our lives to Jesus, actually, we're born into hope. And hope is our inheritance, and hope is uh, our birthright, and hope is our reality. And so we're just going to dive straight in. I know it's early. I know we normally do other things first, but we're going to go straight into the, to the Bible. We're going to straight to 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. It's written by Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. What a sweet couple of verses. I love how he's just kind of uh, causing them to lift their eyes and lift their heads and start to understand who they are in God. When I was a kid, I was a 
do your homework on the bus kind of a kid. Like some people might have called me disorganized. I think that would have been unkind. I, I would have liked to have said something like I was energized by the thrill of the last minute. And uh, so my handwriting, which is terrible now, probably started being terrible because of all the shuddering on the bus when I was trying to do my homework. Anyway, one time I'm waiting for the bus with my friend John, Hinchley Wood bus, station, bus stop, and we're standing there and John says to me, so, uh, how are you feeling about the big test this morning? Oh, no. What do you mean, big test? Oh, I, it was like a, a, a real-life anxiety dream. It, it was like, oh, my, oh my goodness. Uh, what do you mean there's a test today? And he said, yeah, yeah, there's, there's a test today. And, and my heart's racing, and, and you know, every pore in my body is like trickling sweat. It's like brutal. Wait, oh, okay. My, my wife is making signals at me. I have no idea what they're about. Anyway, so, uh, so we get on the bus and I'm saying to John, John, please tell me, what do I need to know? I think that's a great question. What do I need to know? Like there are, we're, we're lit, no, we're not literally, we're metaphorically drowning in information. You know, you know during this pandemic, uh, there is so much information, isn't there, about our numbers and vaccine efficacies and, and all of the statistics and the government policies and the, the expert advice and all of these different things. We, you know, and Google is like an infinity pool of information. And so it's never been, in once it's more important to ask ourselves the question, what do I need to know? What do I need to know? The Apostle Peter is writing to believers who themselves are under extreme pressure. They're isolated and they're locked down by persecution. They're fearful and anxious about the future. And so it seems to me so helpful and so instructive to see what Peter considered that they needed to know in this moment. And I think he, he, he wants to communicate four things. And the first thing is this, I need to know that everything is not fine. Everything is not fine. As I've read this short passage over and over again, I've been so struck with the way that uh, Peter just says it like it really is. Second half of verse one, he says, you're exiles. You've been scattered throughout the Roman provinces of Asia Minor. He just says it how it is. That word exiles is such loaded language in the Bible. It's, it's, it's a, a word that describes a sense of disconnectedness from God, from one another, um, disappointment, disillusionment, disenfranchisement. It's like, uh, it's a bleak word. And, it, and it's a word that describes the experience of God's people over and over again throughout the scriptures. You know, going right back to the beginning of the book, Adam and Eve are exiled from the garden, this place of provision and abundance and intimacy and proximity to God. And then uh, fast forward a bit later on and the, the Israelites are exiled in Egypt which is a place of captivity and um, slavery. And then later on, they're wandering nomads, exiles through the wilderness. And they know that where they are right now is not home. And they're longing to be in a place that feels comfortable and secure. And then, of course, they're in the land for some generations. And then they're exiled again. They're carried off into captivity in 
Babylon. They're ejected from God's presence. And they're, they, they're living this strange existence in a foreign land. And, and here, Peter says, let's not gloss, gloss over it. Let's not pretend it's something that it isn't. You know, you are exiles. You're, you're nomads. You're, you're not at home. You're not comfortable. You're, you're living in a place of distance. Everything is not fine. It's not okay. There's a, a misconception about what living by faith really means. That somehow living in faith is, is to deny reality. It's like, no, 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 you might think I've got a broken leg. I declare I, my leg is not broken. Or I declare that my mind is not unwell. Or I declare that my heart is not aching. When really it is. That's not faith. That's not holiness. That's, that's delusion. But the Bible never does that. From the lamentations in the Psalms, or to the lamentations in, well, lamentations. You know, the Bible is shockingly real about our reality. And so, therefore, faith isn't denial. It's believing in the darkness, what we've known in the light. It's recognizing our reality and then uh, praying for it to change. That's faith. We're conscious as pastors, that, that many, many people in our church are struggling right now. Not everyone, but lots of people are finding life hard at the moment. And I just want to say this. There's a reason why it doesn't feel good right now. It's because it isn't good. You know, this, this virus isn't only an attack on our respiratory systems. It's an attack on our humanity, on our relatedness, on our connectedness on our friendships, on our families. It's, it, it's so much more than just an attack on our breathing. And so I, I think I want to say this. If you're not doing okay at the moment, I want to say that's an entirely normal response to the sec set of circumstances that you are currently facing. We need to know that everything is not okay. That's the first thing. The second thing we need to know is, I need to know who I am. I'm pretty infamous for losing things, especially my wallet. And, uh, and that's happened a lot over the time that I've been married to poor Taryn. Um, I remember the very first weekend that I went to go and meet the in-laws, the future in-laws. Uh, and I, I was trying so hard all weekend to just... Uh, you know, be on my best behavior, present myself well and all of that. And we got to this moment right at the end of the weekend where I think I'd done okay. And then um, I was suddenly paralyzed by, oh no, what do I do? Do I go in for a hug or a side hug or do I shake hands? And some of you just do this thing naturally, but for me that takes a bit of thought. And, and, uh, and so like in the moment, I think I probably just went for all three of those and ended up like shaking hands with my future father-in-law's belly button. And it was just so awkward that we just jumped into the car and we started driving away. And then there was a phone call. Um, Chuck's left his wallet behind. Another time, I remember saying to Taryn, I just can't find my wallet anywhere. Like, where, where is it? And, and we're, we're, you know, searching the house. And then she says, oh, hang on a minute. I found it. And she points to the, the glass on the washing machine. And you can just see my wallet going round and round in the washing machine. And do you know what? The bank cards still worked. 
But the weird thing was that when I went to use my student ID, because I was a student when we first got married, um, I, I, I pulled the, and the card came out, but all the writing and my picture kind of stayed imprinted on that little plastic screen thing. It was like I just lost my identity. That, I, do you know what? That sounded so much better when I was rehearsing it in my uh, room earlier on. But the point is, let me just remember what the point is. Sometimes, when you've been through the ringer, you need to be reminded about who you are. You need to be reminded of who you are. Isn't that what Peter's trying to do here? Do you notice, before he addresses where they are, he reminds them who they are. He says, uh, to God's elect, that's who they are. Exiles scattered throughout Asia Minor. That's where they are. And then he goes on to say, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. That's who they are. That's who you are. It seems to me that the vision of the Christian life that we have saddled ourselves with is so pathetically small. Like somehow we've shrunk down what being a Christian is to a series of tick boxes that is essentially like, have I attended church? Have I read the Bible? Have I prayed? And that seems to be it. The, the, the Bible's vision of what following Jesus is like is so much more expansive than that. Uh, you know, the Bible's vision is that you could be uh, sort of airlifted into any part of the world where you're the only follower of Jesus and, and where, where you would be under immense pressure and dare I say even persecution and even in that place you could be res not only resilient for God, not only surviving but thriving for God uh, and bringing hope and life uh, uh, and the gospel to the world around you. That's the Bible's vision for your life. But the truth is, that we can only cope with where we are when we know who we are. Here's what Peter says, verse 1. You're elect. In other words, you're, you're called to follow Jesus. Verse 2, you're chosen. You're known. You're seen. You've been redeemed. I so love how Eugene Peterson, you know, when he... When he um, put the whole of the Bible as an academic, but he put the whole of the Bible into uh, uh, kind of a paraphrase, his own, his own words. And this is how he paraphrased these couple of verses. He says, The exiles scattered to the four winds, not one is missing, not one forgotten. God the Father has his eye on each of you. That's who you are. I need to be reminded, I need to know who I am. Can you hear the helicopter? Number three, I need to know that God is at work in me. When I was a child, I loved weekends because weekends were when my dad was home and not at work. And so, like, the, the weekends were brilliant. My, my dad, who, looking back now, was pretty eccentric. He used to do, all, he used to do DIY every weekend, and he'd do all of his DIY, regardless of what it was, in a, a three-piece pinstripe suit. And so it could be under the car, or it could be up a ladder painting the house in a three-piece suit. And we always used to laugh at him and say, why does every job that you're doing take so long? 
And of course, now I know the reason is because we were with him and we were just like tugging at his shirt sleeves all the time, wanting to participate and wanting to be with him. And so that was the weekends. But during the week, we would, we would just be like desperate for him to come home from work. And so uh, some days we'd, we'd like build a barricade in the front garden of, of bicycles and, and toys and, and coats and stuff like that. And then we'd hide behind the barricade with some binoculars and we'd be just searching for our father. And isn't that the posture that so many of us have been living with over the last year, just looking for our father in the world. Like, God, what in the world are you doing? Or what are you doing in the world? Like, you know, just trying to perceive what God is doing. And that's not wrong. But actually, what I noticed when I read this passage is that maybe we're looking in the wrong place. I need to know that God is at work in me, even if I can't see what he's doing in the world. Here's what he's doing in the midst of the pressure and the persecution and the pain. Verse 2, Peter says that the Holy Spirit is doing a sanctifying work. He's causing them to live their lives more closely in obedience to the will of God. That's what God's doing in this situation. In other words, they're being shaped they're being molded. They're being formed by the Spirit of God in the midst of their circumstances. And maybe that's what's happening for us too. If only we would perceive it. It's not wrong to look, at, look, look into the world for, for what God's doing, but let's not miss the reality that God is working in us. I need to know that God's working in us. And the, the last thing, very briefly, is this. I need to know that I'm part of a precious community. I love the story in Mark chapter 14 of the woman who comes to Simon the leper's house in Bethany because she knows that Jesus is there. And when she gets to the house, she takes out this bottle of pure nard, which is like an outrageously expensive perfume. In fact, the Bible says that, that this little bottle of perfume is worth more than a year's wages. So it's like tens of thousands of pounds in today's money. And she takes this bottle, she breaks it, and she sprinkles it over Jesus. And it's this moment of complete shock. No one can believe that she's done it. It's the most outrageous thing they've ever seen. They're like, what a waste. How could she do that? Like, what lunatic would... Um, pour all of that over one person in one go. And yet Jesus says, no, 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 what she's done is an entirely rational thing. It, it, it makes perfect sense. What she's doing is she's communicating my value to her. She's saying how much I'm worth to her as she pours out this perfume. There is one liquid that is the most precious commodity that has ever existed. It's the spilt blood of a crucified Christ. And Jesus poured out his blood, all of it, for us. We are so 
valuable, that valuable to him. Do you know, in the midst of all of our circumstances, it's very easy to forget that each one of us has value. We're precious to God. And as a community, as the church across the face of the earth, all the, you know, creeds and colors, all of, all of the um, different denominations and streams, as a community, the church is of infinite value. Why? Because Jesus poured out his blood to God's elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood.